Welcome to Eurodollar University with Jeff Snyder. No, you're not in the wrong place. Jeff has a real interview to do after this show. That's why he's dressed up. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get to enjoy Jeff's pretty, pretty look as well as his wisdom. I have introduced myself. My name is Emil Kalinowski. We're going to be giving you another reason why the U.S. Treasury curve may have inverted. Jeff, we've gone over three of them so far. We gave two monetary reasons that there was an increase in repo fails in October. That's the key, ladies and gentlemen, right? Then that the Federal Reserve started increasing their lending of securities to the market. Number three, a more macroeconomic reason, the inventory started to pile up in the United States. And now we're going to go over a fourth real economy reason why Starting in October 2021, the U.S. Treasury curve started to flatten, eventually leading to inversion. Have I set the scene properly, Jeff? Yeah, Emil, and not only that, there's actually a fifth that we might get to maybe next week or so. But I think the point you're trying to make, and you're doing a very good job making it, is that October, 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 October. We keep coming back to that month of October. And in terms of markets, it's October 8th. We have a specific date. That was the date in which the euro dollar futures curve stopped steepening and started to flatten and then eventually inverted in this early December and continued on the rest of the, the rest of the way to the point where it's now ridiculously inverted. And the U.S. Treasury, the yield curve, again, October 8th. Now, it didn't actually steepen like the euro dollar futures curve had. It kind of just went sideways and stayed where it was from throughout the summer into early October. But then October 8th, it's almost like somebody drew a straight line from October 8th, relatively steep to now inverted in March and April of 2022. So like you said, man, October, 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 these kinds of things, when you see curves go upside down and inverted, you know, it's never just one thing or another. There's usually a, you know, an interplay of reasons why these things happen because curves don't want to be inverted. They want to be upward sloping. They want to be beautiful. They want to be optimistic. And it really takes an enormous amount of bad vibes, if you want to call it that, or bad data, or actually bad economy or bad money to get these things out of whack as much as they are. So we have a number of reasons that coincide with this October inflection point. Okay, well, I'm going to do the big reveal. Ladies and gentlemen, real personal income, excluding transfer receipts, has declined since October. Now, Jeff, was that the headline that came out when we got this data? Or no, was it all about the PCE and inflation and nobody bothered to say, hey, have you guys noticed that income is not growing as much since October? It's almost like you're very cynical about the mainstream financial media. I mean, I'm not sure why you would be that way. But yeah, you're right. I think that's most people looked at the PCE deflator part of it. This is the personal income and personal spending data that the Bureau of Economic Analysis puts out, the same folks who put out the GDP numbers. They also keep track of consumer prices. And in fact, the PCE deflator or the, the bunch of deflators that come with this data, personal income and personal spending, these are the ones that the Federal Reserve actually pays attention to. That's the one they prefer. They don't like the CPI because of the way CPI is constructed. They'd much prefer the PCE deflator, which like the CPI for the month of, what was it, February, February not looking good. And consumer prices uh, on average growing at 40-year high rates, core rates upwards to a slight deceleration in the core, but nobody cares about that. The only thing everybody pays attention to 
is the headline, right? Which screams, you know, 1970s or something. Okay, we've got the graph up now, Jeff. It's real personal income, excluding transfer receipts, all the way going back to 2016 to present February. Jeff, I've got five notes. So hang with me here. The first thing I wanted to point out, Jeff, is that the last time we saw some sort of flatness, actually two times ago, in this curve, in this line, which should be rising, real personal income, was at the end of the 2016 slowdown, the BRICS bust-up. And of course, the BRICS bust-up was taking place in Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, not in the United States. Yet, as you often write, it's a coupled world, not decoupled. And we can see how Americans saw their income flatline right at the very end of what we call Euro dollar number three. My second note, Jeff, notice that, of course, the revisions after the fact are down, always down, at least since we've, always yeah, down. since the silent depression began, these revisions are not up. They're always down. So again, it was worse than was being reported at the time. Yeah, keep that in mind. Always keep that in mind. As we're going through all of these data points, remember, a couple years from now, we're likely to find out it's probably a little bit worse than it actually shows up as it is today. Number three, euro dollar number four was real, ladies and gentlemen. Again, the last time we saw a flattening in personal, real personal income was taking place in 2018. You can see it, how it just goes sideways again. Then it started to rise towards 2019 and 2019. We go into 2020, we have the COVID. And then my fourth note is that October peak, we had a little bit of, a, of an aborted recovery, didn't we, Jeff? And then, okay, finally we made a comeback. And here we are again now, October 2021. Tell us, Jeff, is there anything to take away from this other than just, yes, it peaked then along with so many other measures? Well, a couple of things. It's actually a double October, right, Emil? Because it started to recover after the initial, the initial rebound reopening back in 2020. And then October of 2020, it kind of stopped. Mm -hmm. It just stopped dead in its tracks. And ever since then, real personal income, excluding transfer receipts, has been basically flat. And so we're talking like, what, what is that now? My math isn't very good, but that's 17 months, 16 months, something like that, without much growth in this measure. And by the way, this particular measure is one that the NBER uses, those you know private economists who get together and decide, quote unquote, what is and what is not a recession. This is one of the four numbers that they use to actually help them date business cycles. And it's not supposed, as you've said already, Emil, it's not supposed to be flat. It's supposed to be rising at a relatively decent clip. And if it's not rising, like a curve that's not in its beautiful upward sloping shape, we know something is wrong because what it measures is not just all income, because there are times such as now when a lot of income is derived from artificial means, such as government transfers, stipends, unemployment payments, grants that are supposed to be loans to businesses and any number of other things. We want to know what's going on in the private economy. And if the government is doing a lot of interference and intervention in the economy, is that intervention actually having an impact in the private economy as it's supposed to? And what we're seeing from this particular number that removes transfer payments from it, no. In fact, despite the you know, jobs numbers that look terrific, what's really happening is that the economy sort of slowed down in terms of real income in October of 2020. And then in October 2021, we pile on top of that 
this acceleration in consumer prices, which tells us that even though nominal payments and nominal wages are rising relative to where they were, they're not rising fast enough to keep up with the supply shock or the aftermath of the supply shock, which means even though consumers are, as workers are getting paid a little bit more on their paycheck, they're falling further and further behind given how prices due to the supply, last year's supply shock are outpacing even the aggregate gains in wages as well as financial income. Final thought from me, Jeff. The inventory measure that we discussed recently, that comes with a one to two month delay. This, here we go right now, real income, also comes with a one to two month delay. The, sec- the monetary measures, the security lending by the Fed, the repo fails by primary dealers, again, over a week delay, Jeff. If only, if only there was a real time measure that would have alerted us at the time that the economy was suffering. Ah, if only. I mean, something like a curve or an actual market, you know, use those things that everybody just ignores or doesn't pay attention to. I don't blame the Federal Reserve to be on. I think, you know, your point is a good one, Emil. We don't talk about it enough, which is, it's almost like these are two separate things. We talk about the markets and the markets are the markets. And then we talk about economic data. And it's almost like the two things don't mix, especially in mainstream conversation. But for us, it's, you know, the way we look at it is this data comes in later and helps us piece together what we already have seen in the marketplace. So we see something major happen, an inflection in the yield curve, an inflection in the euro dollar futures curve. And then later we get some data from the BEA or we get data from the Federal Reserve itself, whether it be, you know, repo fails or something else, which, by the way, I think we're going to talk about next week because there's a developments and repo fails and collateral and all that stuff, too, are uh, Reason number five to go back to October. But anyway, the larger point is that there is a comprehensive picture here. Markets, data, all this stuff, even the revisions years later that tell us kind of what we already knew at the time. It's all a comprehensive picture of what must be going on. So we have real time snapshots based on what market prices and market spreads and things are doing. And then we get high frequency data that maybe is not as necessarily reliable, tends to be noisy. But oftentimes it does confirm what we're seeing in the marketplace, which makes sense because that's what's trading in these markets, especially these sophisticated markets like euro dollar futures. Who is moving the treasury curve? It's real economic participants that otherwise we wouldn't be able to observe. For the audience, if you're interested in learning or hearing what we had to say about the other, other what? Ah, Jeff, what am I looking for? Sparks, reasons that the treasury curve may have begun inverting, flattening. Well, the lengthening list of suspects, right? The usual suspects. Well, I will put that the usual suspect. And like the movie, right, Emil? These these suspects have all been working together. Yeah, you know, I'm going to ask. You've got me on. I'm going to put it in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. Those previous episodes, <laughs> Jeff. I'm going to ask David for the next piece of artwork to uh, have a lineup of the usual suspects, except it's going to be, you know, elites and leaders, technocrats, and that sort of thing. I'm figuring out who to put in each of the, the five positions. It's going to look great. We'll make it We'll make it good and funny. All right. Maybe we should have that in the comments. People tell us in the comments who should go up in the lineup because that, I think, <laughs> who looks like whom in the movie. That would be interesting. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Take care, Emil. 